This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash checkthelocks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Before we get started, as always, Olivia, it's wonderful to see you. How are you? How has your week been? This week's been really busy. Um, Work's been busy. And then Hogs for the Cause was this weekend. So that's a weekend of just running around, cooking food, having a good time, raising some money for some kids. But it was a success. And now it's time to relax and recover a little bit until next year. How are you? How's How are things going? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for asking. And I am glad that hogs went well and that you had a good time. And hopefully when some of those totals and tallies come in, you'll be in a, a good spot. So I'm excited to hear about that. And I just want to give a second to shout out a few of our listeners that donated to Hogs for the Cause on my fundraising page. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Every dollar counts and it is appreciated more than you know. So thank you for taking your time to donate. Um, and I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it's definitely awesome that members of our community stepped up and chipped in. And it's always great if you buy a T-shirt or something like that. But it, it's even better if you donate to help somebody in need. So really happy that we had people step up and and put their money where their mouth is. It was absolutely awesome. So thank you so much for participating and just helping out a family member. It was great to see. Well, Olivia, this week is your week. And what are we going to be diving into? This week's case takes place in a small town of Harlem, Georgia. Have you ever heard of it? I have heard of Harlem. Yeah. Really? How? Why? You know, I don't know, but, and maybe it was in like a show or a documentary or something that I watched, but the town name definitely sounds familiar. You must know this case then. I don't think so, but I was looking at the notes and I think I have a sense of what's going on. So I'm interested to dive in. Yeah. Well, Harlem has a population of about 4,000 people. Um, It's located in Columbia County, Georgia, which is just east of Augusta. And what's a fun fact about Augusta? Do you know? I do not. That's where the Masters is played. Oh, I'm not a golf guy. Me, I'm not a golf girl. (laughs) I know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. (laughs) 
But anyways, on January 31st, 2011, 18-year-old Amanda Callahan arrived home from picking up her little brother Chase from the bus stop. When she arrived home, she was shocked when she found the house door open, a chair at the table knocked over with what appeared to be spilled Kool-Aid on the floor. Shortly after arriving home, Aaron Schmidt, the Callahan's 14-year-old neighbor, came running inside saying he saw someone take Alana. The pair ran outside searching for the girl. Schmidt pointed to Alana's body and he and Amanda ran to her. Her face was covered in blood. They attempted CPR until EMS arrived, but Alana was dead on the scene. Peter and Betty Jo Callahan had six children. They were a military family that recently moved to Harlem to live out in the country. They wanted a more freeing and stable life for their six kids. The Callahans were very family-oriented. They had a house with many moving parts and kids coming and going. They had a few simple rules in the Callahan household. Take your shoes off at the door, no hats inside, and no boys allowed at the house without a parent home. Which to me makes sense when you have six kids varying from ages like 18 to 8 was the youngest. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of rules in our house, but that was one when we were teenagers for a long time. It was no girlfriends, boyfriends, stuff like that aren't allowed in the house when mom's not home. So that definitely makes sense to me. I'm just thinking about how bad this family must feel because you move to the country, you know, you want a quiet life. We want something stable. And then you haven't been there very long and something like this happens. It's just heartbreaking. Yeah. And Alana Callahan was the fourth child and 14 years old. Her family said she held them together. She was always smiling and the life of the party. She was the light in every room that she walked into. Officer Brian Jones was the on-call investigator on the day of January 31st, 2011. He quickly began to interview Amanda and Aaron. Amanda told Jones that she picked up Alana from the bus stop at the end of their street, brought her home, and she waited about 30 minutes before she went to pick up her little brother Chase from the bus stop when he arrived. So Amanda was used to going to the bus stop. So they lived on a long driveway, which was about a mile and a half to the main road. So on this day in particular, it was raining. So Amanda would drive to the bus stop and pick up the kids as they would return. So each kid was at a different school. High school got out first, then middle school, then elementary school. Um, So she would go and pick up the kids as they would come. So she would go home. They said it took about a minute and a half to get down their long driveway to the main street. Yeah, I'm the oldest of four. So I remember, you know, going into fifth grade, all of my siblings, except for one or a year apart. So I went into sixth grade. My sister was still in fifth grade and I got a little bit earlier than she did. So it's just kind of those staggered schedules. So it made a lot of sense when you were walking through. It's like, yeah, one kid gets home, especially if you're the older kid, you go pick them up, come back, make sure they're settled, then go get the next one, so on and so forth. And essentially, she was just going down this long driveway because they kind of lived back off this road um, into the woods a little bit more. Gotcha. She shared she just arrived home when Aaron showed up stating that someone had taken her sister. And that's when their search began, ultimately finding Alana covered in blood in the woods near their home. Detective Jones recalled his first interview with Aaron. He stated that he had a very calm demeanor. He was crying at times, but had no physical tears. Aaron told Detective Jones that he had gone to Callahan's home to tell Alana that he was on restriction and unable to go to their house for two weeks. He went back towards his house and that's when he said he saw a man jump over a cable into his uncle's property. So I'm going to kind of explain the layout of where this is all taking place. So there's one road that the Callahans live on one side and they have a long driveway that goes off the main road and back and there's their house. When you get kind of curve around to their house, if you cut through the woods and go across the street through the the woods on the other side of their house, that's where Aaron lives. And so apparently his uncle had some property that kind of was in the mix between the Callahans and where he was living. 
That's what it sounds like his uncle's property just kind of backed up to theirs. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Now, Aaron said he went to go check out what who this guy was and where he was going. He claimed that he walked through the woods and came up the back of the Callahan's property. He and the man made eye contact and the male ran away. Schmidt described the male as a tallish person wearing all black. He said he could see his face and that he was sure he was a white male. He went back to the house to make sure no one broke in. According to Aaron, the door to the Callahan's was unlocked. He looked around but didn't see anyone. Aaron then went out the back door and at that time Amanda was getting home with her little brother Chase. But something didn't sit right with detectives. Over the course of four hours, Aaron's story changed about 27 times. And after the pressure of a lengthy interview, Aaron admitted to Detective Jones that he did shoot Alana but stated it was an accident. He initially told them that he was standing on the table trying to unload the gun and it went off shooting Alana. At this point, police began to read Aaron Schmidt his rights, but he refused. He continued to talk to police, now changing the story again. He claimed that Alana actually wanted him to show her how to use the gun. Aaron Schmidt's story would continue to change six more times. After several different stories, Lacey Aaron Schmidt was arrested and charged with the murder of Alana Callahan. The trial began shortly after the murder of young Alana. Ashley Wright, the district attorney, told the jury that Lacey Aaron Schmidt murdered his friend Alana Callahan. The prosecution argued that Aaron saw Alana as a threat that he needed to eliminate. The Callahan family recalled an incident that happened about a week prior to her murder. Betty Jo, Alana's mother, told detectives that Alana came home from school extremely frightened. When she arrived home, it appeared that someone was in their house. To her surprise, it was Aaron Schmidt. She was confused as to how and why he was in her house when no one was home and the doors were locked. Betty Jo later told Aaron that he was not allowed over at the house until 5 p.m. and only when she or Peter were home. District Attorney Wright claimed that Aaron now felt threatened by Alana. Aaron was at the Callahan house every evening and ate dinner with them most nights. He was obsessed with the Callahans. The prosecution shared with the jury that Schmidt told both Alana and Amanda earlier at the bus stop that he was on restriction and could not go to their house for two weeks. The girls went home, where Alana was at the dining table on her computer. About 30 minutes later, Amanda left to go get their little brother Chase from the bus stop. And according to Wright, Schmidt was waiting for Amanda to leave. He walked into the front door, took off his shoes, placing them next to Alana's. Schmidt then crept up behind Alana Callahan and shot her directly in the back of the base of her head. When it was done, Aaron had just enough time to drag Alana's body out the back door and 200 feet towards the woods before Amanda returned home. Now, remember, I was saying it took them about a minute and a half to go from their house all the way down the driveway to the bus stop. Yeah, so he did this quick. Yes. At that point, Aaron ran back around the house and into the front door, claiming someone took Alana. Now, the defense argued that this was, quote, a tragedy where a 14-year-old girl lost her life, but not cold-blooded murder. Aaron's lawyers claimed that this was actually a case about a traumatized and neglected 14-year-old boy who would eventually snap. Aaron Schmidt grew up in a broken home. His mother was raped by her stepdad and they had four kids together, Aaron being the third child. His mother abused drugs and his father had been in and out of jail. By the time Aaron was five, he was taken from his mother and forced to live with his significantly older half-sister, Diane Chitty. This, too, was a violent and unstable household. Schmidt's team claimed that he was never accepted into his family and that he was a constant reminder of their dark ancestral secret. They claimed Aaron fell in love with the idea of the Callahan family. To Aaron, he finally found a place he fit in. He would help around the house and yard work with Peter Callahan. The defense told the jury that Aaron was just a kid who did not understand the full magnitude of what was happening and argued that it was the reason his story changed so many times. 
The lack of emotion from the defendant was in part because Schmidt was a young kid who had been through his own severe trauma. The evidence would later prove that in the week prior to Alana's murder, Aaron was indeed inside her home on January 27th stealing her father's 9mm handgun. This was the incident that scared Alana, prompting her to tell her mother about Aaron inside the home. Alana was shot execution style at the base of her head and neck with an exit wound from her jaw. During the search of Aaron's room, police found a bag stash that contained items of the Callahans, including an iPod, MP3 player, and a digital camera. In Schmidt's bathroom was Peter Callahan's gun box and manual. Ballistics testing would later confirm it was in fact the gun used to kill Alana. In February 2012, Lacey Aaron Schmidt was found guilty of malice murder, felony murder while in the commission of an aggravated assault, possession of a firearm during the commission of a crime, and theft by taking a handgun. Schmidt is currently serving life in prison without the possibility of parole for the murder of his 14-year-old best friend Alana Callahan. He was also sentenced to five years for possession of a firearm and 10 years for theft of a firearm to be served consecutive to the life sentence. In March 2014, the then 17-year-old Aaron Schmidt appealed to the Georgia Supreme Court stating that the prior judge, Michael Annis, did not let jurors know they could have chosen a lesser charge. He claimed his trial attorney was ineffective and that his sentence was cruel and unusual punishment. A new trial was denied by Judge Harris Hines, who stated that the evidence was sufficient to enable a rational trier effect to find Lacey Aaron Schmidt guilty beyond a reasonable doubt of the crimes in which he was convicted. So that's it. That's this week's case, John. What'd you think? It is a sad story all the way around to think that a 14-year-old lost her life and it was at the hands of another 14-year-old who was her best friend. And then just thinking about what this kid went through, you know, it's not an excuse but he obviously suffered some trauma of his own, you know, and I think it just speaks to what we've talked about before on the show. If you've got that trauma and you don't address it, that's how some of these horrible things can happen, you know? So it's like that kid needed help and he needed help early and he definitely didn't get it. Yeah. And unfortunately it's just, you know, part of how the system works in the United States. And it's really unfortunate and really sad, you know, had he been placed in maybe a more loving environment in the beginning and with a family who would, you know, help him work through these issues that he has dealt with instead of placing him with a half sister who also had a violent home and a violent environment in which he was raised, you know, didn't help him out. Yeah. When you grow up feeling like a mistake or an abomination, you know what I mean? Cause like, if you know that you were born because your mother was sexually abused by her stepfather, Right. Like that would mess you up. And it doesn't sound like it was a secret to him. And so, again, it's just, you know, these are things that need to be addressed at a young age. And who knows if he would have had some quality mental health services, like maybe this isn't anything he would have ever had to worry about. But it definitely feels like he fell in love with the idea of like what a family should be. And I wonder, too, if he almost felt like he was going to lose his place there. And that's where he's like, oh, I've got to secure it. Like, this is my way to secure it, which is very bizarre. Yeah, it was like once he knew that Alana was afraid, you know, he had to figure out how to fix it. And the way he fixed it by taking her life wasn't the right way to do it. But when you're 14 and you have no positive role models or influences, you don't really know how to deal with situations like that. You know, I know he was probably worried that he was going to lose the Callahans, but I also wonder what in the world possessed him to think, oh, let me kill my best friend. Yeah. And it's very interesting because there is that level of respect, right? Like before he walked into the house and he took off his shoes, he followed their rules, mm-hmm. took off the 100%. shoes, put them by the door. So, you know, it's just, like I said, it's incredibly sad all the way around. I'm also really surprised that 
being 14 years old, he was tried as an adult and not as a juvenile. Cause you would think being that age, most likely it'd be a juvenile offender, but sounds like they really wanted to stick it to him, which I mean, if I'm part of that family, I definitely can see why. I mean, if somebody murdered my child, I would want the longest possible sentence imaginable. Yeah. And this was a heartbreaking thing for the families, for the Callahan family in general. This is a kid that they took in as their own. Um, I was watching um, one of the documentaries about it and just they were talking about how we he would be at their house every night eating dinner. They took him in. They saw him as like one of theirs. And then for him to do this to them is just really devastating. Yeah, I had a friend like that in high school that, you know, he was just always at our house. Like my mom would come home and he'd be in the kitchen making scrambled eggs and it was no big deal because he was like the like the adopted fifth kid. And he listens to the show as well. So what's up, Nate, if you're listening? But, <laughs> you know, like that happens a lot where it's just like, yeah, you're just here so much. You're one of us, you know, and I'm sure that that's heartbreaking because you love that child the same way that you love your own children and you take it active role in their well-being and you invest in them. And so when something like this happens, it's just absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. And the sad thing was, is, you know, the family had only moved there in May of 2010. And then of January 2011, their daughter is murdered by the neighbor. Like it's just, they moved there to have a quiet life, to quit doing the traveling with the military, settling roots, giving their kids space so that they could live this life. And little did they know that a monster would be living across the street, essentially, and kill their daughter. Yeah. And in this case, I mean, it's hard for me even to call this kid a monster. I think he did a monstrous act. Mm -hmm. He did something terrible. But I really believe that, like, had he gotten the help that he needed, he's just it just seems like he was a broken kid. And again, it's not an excuse because, you know, broken people hurt people. They leave others broken. I think this is a really good example of that. But. Yeah, and we as humans want to see the best in people, or at least me as a human, I try to see the best in all sides. It's just a sad case. It's two 14-year-olds who lost their life. For whatever reason, we may never know, but just really, really sad. Yeah, I definitely agree. Well, I mean, I've been thinking about deadbolt tests the whole time we've been going through this. So I don't know if you want to jump into that if you're if you're ready, but I got some thoughts on it. Yeah, what you got? I'm putting this at eight because I'm not worried about a 14 year old, you know, necessarily hurting me. But, you know, again, I know I feel like I say this every week, but I'm a parent. Someday my kid's going to be 14. Someday my kid is going to have friends that want to come over. Someday I'm not going to be home and she's going to want to have people at the house. It's going to be hard enough. I can imagine. And maybe some of the parents who listen out there can, you know, you can fill me in a little bit, but I imagine it's going to be hard enough for me to like put aside my fear enough just to trust her, let alone having to worry about trusting, you know, whatever friend she's bringing in the house. So to me, that's where this hits a little bit harder is like, great. Now I don't just have to worry about her doing stuff, but I have to make sure that the friends that she's hanging out with, you know, aren't planning to do anything that is going to hurt her either, you know? So I think for me, that's why I'm putting that an eight. I think I'm putting it at a six. I like the case. I think that it is probably goes down as one of those cases with could Aaron Schmidt have been a sociopath? We don't know. Would he have committed more crimes and murders if he was never convicted of this? Maybe, maybe not. You know, I just think that it was two kids who lost their life way too young. And this could all have been maybe changed if the way we treated mental health and the system in which kids go to when their parents are in jail or on drugs or, you know, I would like to think that Aaron would have turned out to be a a stand-up person. And he was born in 1996. So today that would make him, 
Well, in 2014, he was 17 years old. So he'd be 26 years old. Yeah. So he's still like his frontal lobes are just now getting developed. He's probably a totally different person than he was or one would hope. But, you know, it would be nice to know why exactly he committed this crime. And I know people don't always come out and say what actually happened when they're trying to appeal their their trials and things, you know, because everyone, you know, he's claiming his innocence. But I wish we would know exactly why he killed poor Alana because he spent a lot of time with her. That was his friend. Whatever in his mind thought that shooting her execution style with her own father's gun was the right thing to do. Like what happened? Yeah. To me, that's the saddest part of this whole story is that like they were best friends. You know what I mean? Or, you know, at least you believe them to be best friends. I mean, he was there all the time, you know? Yeah. And so it's somebody that you care about. Like I said, you know, somebody that I know from experience that person's in your house and you love that person. Like they're your brother or your sister or your kid. So I also thought that you were going to put this at a six because, you know, you're short. And if you had to fight a 14 year old, like you'd have to be extra scrappy to like fight a 14 year old. So I thought maybe that's why. (laughs) But your reasoning makes a lot more sense. But this was definitely a it's a good one. It hit hard. You know, this one isn't going to have me checking my locks, but it's definitely going to stay with me. You know, this is one of those ones where years down the road, I'm going to look at my kid and be like, oh, man, that Alana Callahan story. You know what I mean? Got about so, 10 years till that, John. 10. Yeah. Don't remind me. Then let's not rush it, please. I don't need a, a countdown clock on it. But this I was, missed my Millie time tonight. Yeah. She, we started a little bit later, but she was already tucked into bed, ready to rock. So, but this was a good one. I'm coming in at an eight. Olivia's putting it at a six. But we want to know, where does the murder of Alana Callahan fall on your deadbolt test? As always, you can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, come hang out with us. We want to get to know you. We want to spend some time with you. We want to hear what you think of the show. We're posting memes, doing all sorts of questions, stuff like that. So we'd love to have you come hang out with us. Olivia, this was a rough case. I could definitely use a palate cleanser. Do you have a five-star review for us to read this week? I do. This five-star review comes from Alex Loves Annie, LOL. Oh, that's sweet. I don't know what the LOL is about. I don't know either. (laughs) But Alex Love Annie says, I love this podcast all around. From the intro music, the way you both give the details about the case, and my favorite part is the humor and jokes you all make while discussing the cases. I will be sitting on the edge of my seat while laughing at the same time. Wonderful mix. A case I recently heard about that I think you guys would find super interesting is about a guy named Joseph D'Angelo. I'd love to hear what you guys think about it. Keep up the great work. So thank you, Alex Loves Annie, LOL. Let us know if that LOL means something or if it's literally a laugh out loud. Um, but let us know who you are and we'll send you over some cool Check the Lock swag. Yes, Alex Loves Annie, LOL. Please reach out to us. We would love to send you some stuff. And again, thank you for taking the time to leave that review. I know I say this all the time, but we live busy lives. We got a million things going on. So the fact that you carved out just a couple of minutes to go on there and say some nice stuff. It really means the world to us. So thank you for letting us know what you think. Thank you for listening to the show. And just like Olivia said, please reach out to us again. That's Instagram. Check the locks pod. Find us on Twitter at check the locks. And if you're in our Facebook group, post it in there. Send me a direct message. Send Olivia a direct message. Just let us know where to send it. We would love to get you some stuff out. And Olivia, if someone wants to have their five star review read on the podcast, what's the best way to do that? Well, they need to hop on over to the Apple Podcast app, go to our show's homepage, scroll down where you see all five stars, click all five stars, and just leave us a little something to tell us what you think about Check the Locks. 
Yes, we would love to hear what you think. And again, I know I say this every week as well, but these reviews, they really help us. They get us out into other shows, recommendations. They bring more listeners to the community and the family. And that's really what we're trying to do is just grow this audience, this family as large as we can. So if you've left us a review, thank you so much for taking the time to do so. And if you haven't exactly what Olivia said, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us that review. You can go into the notes for this episode. There is a cheat code. Click that link, leave the review. We'd love to hear from you. And you know what else I'm going to throw out? Because we haven't talked about this in a while. I want to hear some voicemails. We haven't had a voicemail in forever. At first, I thought you were going to say talk about the Patreon. But I was like, we actually talk about that all the time. But yes, we haven't had a voicemail in a long, long, long time. So I think it's time. We are due for one. Yes, we definitely need a voicemail because not only do we want to read what you think about the show, we want to be able to play it and share it with other listeners. So if you want to leave us a voicemail, please head over to checkthelockspod.com. Click the microphone in the bottom right hand corner. Leave us a voicemail. We want to hear what you sound like. The inflection in your voice when you get excited. Does your tone go up? Does it go down? I don't know because you haven't left the voicemail. I want to hear how you sound. Are you more like a John or are you more like an Olivia? (laughs) Are you happy and hyped on caffeine or are you monotone and just, you know, a little under the weather? Caffeine all day. Caffeine all day. (laughs) But yes, leave us that voicemail because we would absolutely love to hear from you. And speaking of the Patreon, if you do want to help us keep the lights on, you like what we do, you want to support us financially, you can do so by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks and sign up today. We got a lot of great tiers, a lot of great options. We got exclusive stickers, coffee mugs, T-shirts, all sorts of stuff just for being a patron. So again, if you like what we're doing, you want to help us keep the lights on here at the Check the Locks virtual studio, consider becoming a patron. And if you can't financially support us, that makes total sense, right? Times are what they are. We totally get it. Listening to the show and sharing it with your friends means absolutely just as much as being a patron. So if you like what we're doing, you're hanging out with us every week, invite some friends to do the same. We love you. We would love to get to know the people that matter to you. So share a link, have them come check it out. And if you are one of those people, just know that from the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate the support and you listening and just hanging out with us. It means the world. That is all that we have for this week's episode. Please make sure that you are subscribed to Check the Locks on your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. We will see you again next week with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.